Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex for BTN.com. And, you know, last week before signing off, I, I was skeptical if we'd be able to put together an episode this week. We got Thanksgiving and we generally do these on Wednesdays and, and drop them Thursdays with college football rankings uh, coming out Tuesday nights. But the SEC and ACC and their cupcake schedules last week, mainly the SEC, I think the ACC played in conference, but... The cupcake schedules did us a favor, meaning there were no real upsets and likely to be no real movement in the college football playoff rankings. So we did not have to wait until Tuesday night to record, and we were able to get in a phone call with Tom Deanhart and our guest and a uh, stat head segment as well before we all had our separate ways for Thanksgiving. So that was good. We, we we got this in, and um, this week our guest is Steve Greenberg of the Chicago Sun-Times. He's a Wisconsin grad. He follows Northwestern Illinois closely, being based out of Chicago. And he's a national columnist as well and has also written a college football book, um, which we uh, introduce the title of as well. So Steve Greenberg joined us, and before we get to that in the stat head segment with Harold Shelton, uh, I just want to remind everyone to continue to subscribe and rate and review the podcast if you haven't already uh we're on apple podcasts on podbean and on google play so if you haven't done so already please do that and also a reminder that the promo code or the coupon code on the online btn store is still active you can take 10 percent off your order through the take 10 podcast by using the code take 10 that's t-a-k-e the number one and zero and that's all caps and you just do that while you're shopping for whatever uh, merch you might want to find on there. If you're holiday shopping or just need some new swag, use that coupon code TAKE10, T-A-K-E-1-0. Take 10% off your order. You know, it's getting real now. You know, Thanksgiving is, is right here. So that means, you know, get your, get your holiday shopping done. Quit, quit slacking off and uh, use that coupon code to save you a little money. All right, so now we will get to our discussion with Tom Deanhart and Steve Greenberg ahead of Rivalry Week in college football, and that discussion starts right now. Very pleased to be joined not only by Tom Deanhart calling in from St. Louis, as he always does, but also by our national college football guest, and this week it's Steve Greenberg. He's a sports columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times and the author of the recently released uh, The Diehard Football Fans Bucket List Blitz. Steve, how you doing? Good. I'm sorry I couldn't come up with a longer name for that book. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> doing well. I, I, I can't wait to talk LeVar Ball with you guys. Yeah, that's all we can talk about, right? I was I, I was turning on CNN last night, and uh, LeVar Ball was on the screen. And, uh, you know, it was like I was living in a different alternate universe, but I guess that, that's, that's 2017 for you. Right. Strange time. That was a strange Strange, interview, but strange I'm, I'm, I'm indeed. Kidding, of course, when I bring him up. <laughs> That'll be the last LeVar Ball mention on the, on the podcast, I promise. Um, so we will, we'll we'll begin, as we always do, with just some quick impressions of the week that was in college football. We'll start in conference with Mr. Tom Deanhart. Tom, just a quick 30-second uh, minute-long synopsis of what happened this week in the Big Ten. Uh, break it down for us. Yeah, all eyes were on uh, Steve Greenberg's alma mater up there, Madison, Wisconsin, Badgers, Wolverines. Um, we've been waiting for the Badgers to go against, you know, a supposedly touted foe. 
And they, they more than answered the bell. It was ugly for a half, but Alex Wonderbrook turned it on. And, guys, that Wisconsin defense continues to amaze me. Front to back, there's not a real weak spot. So it's going to be fun to watch them finish out here down the stretch against Minnesota and then play Ohio State. Otherwise, you know, it was business as usual for, them, for the most part in the conference. Northwestern um, looks like they're headed to a 9-3 season. Crazy to think they opened the year 0-2 in the Big Ten, losing to Penn State and Wisconsin. They're going to finish the year, I think, with seven wins in a row. So, uh, yeah, Wisconsin obviously was a real big headline, I think, coming out of the Big Ten last weekend. Yeah, Steve, uh, I mean, obviously not much going on beyond the Big Ten. Uh, Miami had a little bit of a scare. So if you want to keep it in the Big Ten, uh, feel free. But what did you see this past weekend in college football that stood out? Well, there, it was a, it was a, you know, kind of a flat week if you just look at it in terms of the schedule. Not a lot of excitement. So the Wisconsin-Michigan game was kind of the game. And what just looking over a two-week period of what that defense did – they gave up no offensive points to Iowa and one drive, you know, of, of consequence to Michigan. So over a two-week period, it is really impressive what what they're doing on that side of the ball. I think that Ohio State continues to be a little bit difficult to read. You know, probably has the best fastball in the Big Ten, but um, you know, loses its control sometime. If we want to keep up that pitching analogy, uh, nationally, I mean, it was just sort of silly when. Uh, Alabama's playing Mercer and Clemson's playing the Citadel. You know, it's like uh, the the SEC, the ACC gets to kick back and 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 take a take a breather while other leagues don't. You could argue about whether their schedule is tougher along the way, or whether those teams endeavor to schedule somebody tougher in September than maybe certain Big Ten teams or Pac-12 or Big 12 do. I don't think I agree with that. I feel like it's there's imbalance that. That's a real uh, uh, advantage to SEC and ACC. It's kind of an unfair advantage. I guess I'd like to see everybody play the same number of conference games. So that's something that stood out to me uh, this last week. The playoff situation, of course, guys, stayed the same because nobody really was tested, although Miami was strangely tested uh, you know, in, in its game. It was a, a scary game against Virginia all the way into the fourth quarter, and wouldn't that have been something if, something like that popped up and changed things, which is why I look at this week is you never know where the upset's going to come from. It usually comes from uh, an opponent you, you didn't expect it from, and that's what creates the chaos we, we all sort of look forward to. It's not too late. We have one, one more crack at it, one week left. Yeah, you never know what's going to happen in, in rivalry week. And um, like you mentioned, uh, not likely to be any significant changes in the college football playoff picture. That's why I feel comfortable recording this on Tuesday before we all uh, – you know, get our Thanksgiving on. So, um, but yeah, like, like you said, Steve, it, it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a strange case. And, and every year that this happens where the big 10 now plays nine conference games and, uh, other power conferences play eight and they kind of this, this, you know, bye week essentially it, toward the end of the season. I, I, I agree that it's gotta be at least some sort of advantage for, um, those schools to, you know, kind of get a walk through and, and gear back up for, the last week of the season and, and championship week. Uh, I want to get back to Wisconsin a little bit and talk about their performance and how it fits in the larger picture of what they've done this season. It's crazy to me how it seems like in, in every big game, pretty much every game they've played, they're such a second-half team. You know, it, it's it's almost like Hornibrook has to get a pick out of the way and that offense kind of has to get lathered up and, then, and, and get going downhill and that defense just holds firm and, and the floodgates open. So, so Tom, you know, what is it about this Wisconsin team that that 
you know, they, they can't seem to find it until the second half, but when they do, you know, it's pretty much over for the uh, whoever the opponent is. Well, I think, first of all, two, there's, there's two things they do that keep them in every game, obviously. We talked about the defense, number one. Um, anytime you play defense like that, every Saturday you're going to be in the ball game, going into the second half and then even deep into the fourth quarter. How about Jim Leonard, too? I mean, incredible to think he's, what, their third defensive coordinator in three years, and then that defense has not taken one step back. He's been a heck of a revelation. And the second thing is just running the football. Again, no, nobody does it better than Wisconsin. <clears throat> it's been like that. Heck, way back when, when uh, you know, Alvarez first got there in 1990, established that culture. Um, I still remember Brent Moss, you know, and, and, and Terrell Fletcher and those guys. And those first Wisconsin teams, it's gone on from, from there. So, again, running the football, playing great defense, um, that's allowed Hornerbrook, who I think is still a work in progress, to sort of continue to develop. But, but Alex and Steve, I still wonder if at some point, Maybe his, his his poor decisions, his bad throws are going to maybe hurt this team. Um, 13 interceptions is the most in the Big Ten, and this team is unbeaten. Uh, it's kind of an incongruous stat, but again, um, that defense, the running game, I think have been the real keys for Wisconsin to be able to always turn it on deep in the ball games in the second half. Yeah, and those freshman receivers have really you know helped out yeah. too. And uh, Davis and Pryor, those guys are unbelievable. And it kind of looked like Hornibrook's. Uh, Picks were finally going to burn them. You know, Michigan had the momentum. They got that pick at midfield, the juggling interception, and took the lead. Yeah, yeah, it, it did not look good. But then, uh, you know, in a matter of a few minutes, it, it turned on Michigan. Uh, Steve, so you know, Wisconsin has, I think, looked better and better as the season has gone along. Um, have they done more in your eyes to prove that they are playoff caliber and Big Ten champion caliber that they can go to Indy and, and beat Ohio State? Have, have the last few weeks done that for you, or, or are you still skeptical? Uh, no, I'm if you were still, skeptical in the first I, place, I don't even know if you were. I, I, no, I wasn't. I, I and I still am. I, I think that um, you know that that Hornerbrook uh, seems to be a fatal flaw of this team. It's like less a question of if than than when. And um, so far, it hasn't happened. I was I was at, for example, Northwestern's last Big Ten loss was up in Madison, and Hornerbrook turned it over three times in the first half. Um, if not for these things Tom talked about, if not for the run defense for Wisconsin, which gave up nothing, and the ability to run it uh, when they completely bailed on the pass, they, they would have lost that game. They won, they won it, but they were playing Northwestern. So I, uh, I do think that you know it's possible that Ohio State will pounce on every mistake, and, and Ohio State has something. Wisconsin has a great pass rush. This is a little bit of a departure, a little bit of a tangent, but – but it's not a pass rush that uh, that tends to succeed without blitzing. You know, if, if you're Ohio State with the talent in that front uh, line uh, defensively, you don't have to blitz. If you're Clemson, you don't have to blitz. Or Alabama, you don't have to blitz. Wisconsin kind of does. That's not a bad thing, but it just shows it's not, you know, it, it's, it's scheme. I think they coach so well. I think offensively Paul Christ is probably the best play caller in the Big Ten, but when he has a quarterback who's, who's always – one false move from a pick six, a sudden change of field. It's just, it's just so dangerous to, to, to live that way. And uh, if the Badgers ever find themselves in a position where they have to throw, you know, in order to, to, to win or they have to come back and all that, they just don't seem really equipped for, for that. So, so Hornerbrook made uh, a couple of the best throws I've ever seen him make in the second mm-hmm. half of that Michigan game. So, so maybe that's something to build on. 
you know, when he stepped into it and he delivered these balls, it was really impressive. But you just so seldom see that from him. Usually it's safe stuff, tight ends dragging, you know, uh, full throwing to a running back. Uh, and even with all that, he still has managed to throw a bunch of interceptions, even sort of when the play calling has been safe. So I uh, I just worry about him. He's just, you know he's a sophomore, like Tom said. He's he's uh, got a lot of improvements to make, and he may well make them, but they might come next year and the year after that. Um, I, I'd, I'd be nervous about Wisconsin against Ohio State, but you know one thing you can say about the Badgers, they're the most consistently performing team in the Big Ten and maybe the country. You know everybody else has had these lulls. Um, they bring their A game pretty much all the time, and, mm-hmm. and that's been a characteristic of that program for a long time, and it's just enormously impressive. You know, we, we don't see that from from many at all, and so um, I always sort of am cautiously optimistic about Wisconsin because I, I'm realistic about the talent level. It's just not at the very elite level, but it's better than most, and, and, and again, mm-hmm. the scheme's always good. They always have a chance. Hey, you know, guys, yeah, maybe you know, the, guys, you know, guys they're a lot like Georgia. Everybody's talking about Georgia. Got to make Fromm throw the ball. Georgia can play defense. Georgia can run the ball. Can Fromm do it? We saw what happened when Auburn made Georgia have to throw it. But again, you, right. you know Ohio State's going to have a good chance to make Wisconsin throw it. Hey, real quick, Steve, a neutral field today, Ohio State, Wisconsin. What's the point spread? Who's favored? Right. That that's exact. That's, I'm so glad you asked that, Tom, because I would say the same thing about Alabama versus you know Wisconsin. If we get to the position where Alabama has one loss and you've got to make a choice, who gets in with that last playoff spot? I mean, it would be Alabama by 14. So what would it be with Ohio State? I don't know, six, seven, right? So you What's think? You so, so so you think you think the Buckeyes would be a seven point favorite over Wisconsin? I do, and if not seven, then you know, close. But but on no doubt to me they'd be favored uh, on this neutral field and and, um, and 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 that would have been the case you know at, in any week at any on any day um, okay all all season long I mean that's that's what I, that's what I think I, I, it's a good question though and I I think in those terms too it's like the whole gun to the head thing you 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 supposedly rewarding in terms of the playoff best team that's the charge best four teams and it's very black and white. But in fact, what they really do is, yes, or have done so far, is award based on merit, body of work, and all that. And that's what they're going to, probably going to do again this year. If they truly go best team uh, and make that assessment um, sort of cold-bloodedly, then they may leave Wisconsin out if Wisconsin is unbeaten. But I have a feeling Alex will, will bring us around to that. <laughs> yes, yeah, Steve, now that, you're, uh, now that we brought up Ohio State, I was going to ask you for your thoughts um, on – you know, if, if things play out like many expect them to, you know, if Alabama keeps rolling and they take care of Auburn and one of the ACC teams gets knocked out and Ohio State beats Wisconsin in the, in the Big Ten Championship and they're sitting there 11-2, and two, do you think they deserve a playoff spot with two losses and one of those losses being a blowout to what has proved to be a very average Iowa team? All right, I'm going to make sure I heard you right now. You said Alabama wins out, right? Yes, and then you know, much Miami or or uh, or Clemson. Yep. And and so, in this scenario, can we assume Oklahoma's going to win? Oklahoma, right? And so, what's left? If if Alabama has has won out, and Ohio State wins out, yeah, I think you, in in that uh, scenario, you are potentially down to looking at the Buckeyes versus Miami if Clemson wins, which I think it will. Um, I don't think you're looking at Auburn with three losses in that case. And 
and you're, you're, you're probably not looking at Georgia, you're definitely not looking at Georgia non-champion with two losses in that case. So, you know, I don't think that, that it's Notre Dame. They, you're down in this case to one loss Miami or a Pac-12 champion, if it's USC, if it's Washington. I mean, if you're going champion against champion, I think in that scenario, Ohio State probably has the best, um, you know, percentage chance. But, boy, will that be met with, uh, you know, dissatisfaction from many corners of, of the country, too, because there is this perception that Ohio State has gotten, you know, has gotten the benefit of the doubt from the committee. It has. Uh, there's right. no question about it. So, but, yeah, I think in, in that case, Ohio State's most recent, you know, win would be the best win would be the, 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 the win over the highest-ranked opponent in Wisconsin. So, um, yeah, I think that's the only way Ohio State gets in, though, uh, the only right. way. Uh, I don't think Ohio State gets in over one loss Alabama if, if it comes to that, for example. So um, yeah. they need, yeah, they need, uh, they need it to, to, to fall like you described. What yeah, do you I think, think Tom and I addressed it last week that uh, we don't think Ohio State is going to get in over <laughs> – an Alabama that would potentially lose to Auburn, you know, if two SEC teams yeah. get in, or two ACC teams that that Ohio State probably won't. Uh, yeah. Tom, what do you, you? I don't know. You, yeah, you still, yeah, I think, you still believe I mean, that? Yeah, Steve. I think Steve, Steve summarized it accurately. That's the way I think I would see it play out. Um, <clears throat> again, Alabama winning the SEC, Oklahoma wins the uh, Big Twelve. You have your ACC champ, whoever that is. <clears throat> And uh, and then if the Buckeyes do take down an unbeaten Wisconsin team, I think they would get their uh, get their playoff bid uh, for, for you know another year in a row. So yeah, it's crazy to think would that be our first two loss team ever that makes the playoff. But again, it'd be hard to argue, you know, with the resume. I know Alex brought up the fifty-five to twenty-four loss at Iowa, um, <clears throat> but again, still I think the their overall body of work is uh, pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah, before we uh, – I want to talk a little bit about Iowa in a moment, but before we move on completely from the Wisconsin and Michigan game, uh, I, I wanted to bring up the controversial touchdown catch that wasn't for uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones in the first half. You know, it looked like on you know on replay, they watched it over and over, and it looked like both feet came down simultaneously, but then you see screenshots, and it looked like uh, – you know, maybe one foot was in the air while he got one foot down for a touchdown. Would have been a significant touchdown in that game, and you know who knows what could have happened if they would have if they would have uh, overturned that call. But to me, it kind of reminded me of what we saw in the baseball playoffs. You know, what we've seen in baseball the last few years with guys' feet coming off the bag when they're clearly safe, and it gets overturned. Uh, you know, upon review because it came off like a millimeter of an inch, and I I don't know if I would have agreed with. Um, upholding, you know, or reversing that call and calling it a touchdown. Like I, I hate that points might have come off the board for Michigan, but I don't, I don't see how you could have seen if you're watching the replay, like we all saw, you know, without getting screenshots. Like people started posting on Twitter. I don't know how any ref could have overturned that in the whatever few minutes they have to to do so. So, Steve, do you have any thoughts on this? Do you think that touchdown should have been should have been uh or the call should have been reversed to a touchdown or should uh you know Michigan fans feel confident in the result that 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 was uh that was the right call no i think they should be throwing things at the tv and pulling their hair out still what are we <laughs> days after the game to me i there was a re, there was a, a replay one replay that i saw after uh 
you know, so it wasn't a screenshot. It was a replay. And I said, that's it. He scored. No doubt. He got the left foot in before the right foot. Left foot is down. And I don't care how slight it is. If it's an inch. Down is down. You know, I mean, I have two problems with replay. One is really big picture. I don't like replay, period, because I think the human error uh, is part of the, of what fuels the, the, the passion, positive and negative, that sustains over years. Blown calls and all that are part of the, you know, Don Denkinger in baseball or the fifth down in college football. <laughs> like, these things are – these things last forever, and we get – you know – I, I, I'm accepting of the human error part of it and, and, and how that just adds overall. But anyway, there's replay. So if there is replay, get it right. And in that in that case, don't I don't understand why there was this this fear or hesitance to believe what you see. I mean, a foot is down; it's a touchdown. And so I, I'm I just thought that was just plain a blown uh, call and and costly for Michigan for sure and affected the outcome of the game. Although there was another play in the game where a long Wisconsin pass was overturned. I thought it was a catch, and the Badgers might have gone in and scored. And these, these two plays happened in relatively near succession to each other. So maybe they canceled each other out, but usually they don't cancel each other out. One team benefits, the other one is hurt. I think back to that uh, Miami kickoff return against Duke at the very end of the game a few years ago. Do you guys remember that? Yeah, yeah. This crazy return where my heavy's player's knee was down. Replays clearly showed it, but the the touchdown stood. It made no sense to me. It's like down is down. You know, make the right call. Uh, That's how I saw it. Tom, do you uh, see anything different? Do you think Michigan got robbed? Uh, I think, yeah, that was a touchdown. But, you know, Steve's point about replay, uh, I mean, I agree wholeheartedly. To me, I'm, I'm watching a game, if I'm at a game, just, just the buzz kill, the momentum kill, stopping everything. You got to go look at the replay. Everything gets reviewed. It's just a prolonged process that I think really kills and hurts the game. The excitement that's building all of a sudden, that's, that's unplugged. The stadium goes dead. Again, just play the games. And Steve talked about the human element. I think over the course of a season, guys, plays tend to even themselves out. Um, you're going to get some calls against you that are bad, and you're going to get some for you as well. And, and he, and he talked about the human element. I, I would just be just as happy with, hey, I don't care if we don't get everything exactly right. That's okay. Let's do our best as officials. We pay these guys. Well, why are we paying these guys all this money? We're crying out loud. If I get to look at every replay, do a little TD model, let me be a referee. So why, why are we paying the officials? Let them earn their money and make decisions. And again, to me, it just kills the momentum and excitement of a ball game. Every time we have to review every scoring play, everything, everything. You know, for me, it's just a buzzkill. Well, that's the thing that drives me crazy, though. Like to your guys' point, is if you have replay, at least get it right. You know, I feel like I've seen more calls this year than ever, uh, uh, NFL and college. You know, where, where everything's dissected down to the millimeter, and then they still get it wrong. And I, I can't fathom how that happens, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll get off the soapbox now, and we can uh, we can move on to uh, another result that we saw last week. Tom, uh, you know, I'm sure you were watching Purdue going to Iowa City on Senior Day, and you know, sucking the life out of that stadium. They won 24-15, and an Iowa team that you know gave Penn State 
uh, a run until the final seconds of that game and crush Ohio State. I don't know how that happens to an Iowa team uh, against a banged-up Purdue squad that was really struggling coming in. So, um, you know, obviously over the years, fantastic preparation to a certain degree has helped Iowa pull those upsets that we see, you know, every couple of years or so and, and rise up and beat superior teams. Uh, Steve, how do you explain, you know, inferior teams like Purdue coming in and, and other inferior teams that like we've seen over the years beating uh, Iowa, you know, semi-inexplicably? Is that just college football or is that like more of a trend? Um, I mean, I, I, I think that that's what Iowa is, you know, yeah. not every year, but most years. This is what I think of with Iowa, uh, that they have this great disparity year after year between what their best looks like and what their uh, their their worst looks like, and they both show up most times uh, in a given year more than once. You know, Iowa unfailingly has some ridiculously exciting game early in the season. It might be against Iowa State or recent years or Pittsburgh, whoever it is. They play some game that goes down to the wire, and you're thrilled. Um I was thrilled when they, even when they lost to Penn State earlier. I thought they played a beautiful game. Um, needless to say, you know, uh, every Hawkeyes fan was thrilled by the way they played against Ohio State, and they, that day, in that venue, in that moment, they could have played with anybody. But as bad as they were against Purdue, I promise you, they were no better a week before against Wisconsin on the road. Mm-hmm. Two pick sixes for Iowa, and if I'm not mistaken. Four turnovers for the Badgers in the first half. Might have been three, but but might have been four for the game. Regardless, and they lost by 24. I mean, are you kidding? <laughs> Not even scoring a point offensively? That's embarrassing. So uh, more embarrassing to me if I'm looking at, you know, the tape, sitting in the room with the players after trying to dissect things than losing at home to a Purdue team that's been pretty competitive for the most part throughout the season, maybe overachieved. Um, but... This is what Iowa is, just, you know, several no-shows offensively at Northwestern, at Michigan State, and it's frustrating. And, and, and I think if you ask most Hawkeyes fans, they'll tell you, well, yeah, I've been frustrated for much of the last 20 years because every time I think it's real good, you know, something like this happens. And uh, there have been some exceptions along the way when, when they've really delivered a full season, most recently, of course, a few years ago when they went to the Rose Bowl, but a couple of years ago. Uh, but this is just what I think of with the Hawkeyes. They're they're that program in the Big Ten. There's one like it in every league. Yeah, yeah Tom, and uh, I want to get to you know give Purdue credit because they they put together an, a really nice win, uh, one of the best wins they've had in years. And we'll, we'll talk about that performance in just a moment. But first, I know a lot of Iowa fans are upset, and I wanted to ask you about this uh, this um, kind of noteworthy, I guess, note from yesterday. Josie Jewell, the Big Ten's leading tackler, was left off the Buckus Award watch list, and you know Iowa fans weren't happy. We saw it on social media. How does that happen, Tom? He leads, like I said, <laughs> leads the Big Ten in tackles. Been a great player. Do you think uh, you think there's a gripe there? Inexplicable, isn't it? I mean, these awards. I mean, every year there these, these, there's some tremendous swings and misses, and uh, I don't know. Like I said, hopefully they'll, they'll, they can correct it. And obviously, maybe they won't. But, yeah, how do you not have Josie Jewell there at that point? Um, maybe the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. Just unfortunate. So, uh, yeah, another another punch in the gut for, for Iowa in this program coming off that loss to Purdue. And, you know, like, like Steve said, Iowa sort of is what it is. I mean, remember, was it Northern Iowa beating a couple of years ago? And uh, I think Parents is barely 500 against Iowa State, a team 
that it clearly has better players than in better facilities and more money, and it can't consistently beat the Cyclones. So it's coaching, isn't it? I mean, um, there's no way you should be able to beat Ohio State 55-24 to in the next two weeks have your defense outscore your offense 16-13. to And I always say in life, be careful what you wish for. You know, Brian Ferentz got to be the offensive coordinator, and boy, now he's working for his dad. And that can be a really uncomfortable situation. Here we are. The offense is abysmal. What's daddy going to do to this little boy? And, again, it sounds, the same, you know, it sounds great in theory. Oh, I can work with my son. Well, here we are. And uh, it's, a, it's a tough situation. That's the thing. I, you know, I, gave, I, I give the coaching staff a ton of credit for clearly having those guys ready to play year after year when top 10, top 5 teams come in. But I mean, you have to you have to criticize them as well when you know year after year. Also, it seems like they they have one or two of these games where they just don't show up, and it's kind of inexplicable. So Think about this. I don't know hey, what to hey, make. Hey, quick, I don't know what to make of it really. Hey, Steve, when's the last time Wisconsin laid an egg? Right, exactly. That's, that's exactly right. It doesn't happen. The last time was in the Big Ten title game against Ohio I'm State. Not, they lost by fifty or whatever. That 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 was, that's another one time. It's not like they lost at home to UNLV. Something crazy no, no, no. Happened. Right, right. They, 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 lost, they lost at home. You know, they lost at home to Iowa a couple of years ago. They still won the Big Ten, but they lost because I think Corey Clement fumbled at the one in the fourth quarter in, on a day when they turned it over a bunch of times. But it was still like a ten to nine game. You know, they still brought the defense. They still brought the intensity. Yeah. So, we, we, this is this is Iowa, Alex. You mentioned you know when they have a top five team, when they have a top ten team, they rise to the occasion. I don't think it's that broad even. I think it's when they're on national TV, maybe at night, you know, when they have a game that has so much external attention that nobody, can, I mean, every, nobody can help but be, but, but be completely stirred by that, the, the, the team and yeah. all that. And, and, and so um, I think otherwise there is a, an odd absence of a, just a, a, you know, it's a culture thing. It's like a, there seems to be an absence of urgency often around Iowa, and maybe that's what happens at a place where guys coach like Supreme Court justices. You know, it's like a lifetime appointment, and um, so maybe just from the top down, there is there there aren't those excruciatingly uh, tense moments within the the flow of a regular week that you see other places. You know, that's a little unfair for me to say. I, I mean, I I don't really know that, but that's always been my sense from afar. All right, interesting point, uh, Tom. Uh, I did want to get to Purdue's effort and you know what it means for their season before we move on. Uh, got to five wins with with that victory, and they're one away. They're one, they're one oaken bucket away from <laughs> a bowl berth, and that was obviously uh, not what many people envisioned heading into this season. So, how are you feeling about the Boilermakers this weekend against Indiana, a team that started zero and six in the Big Ten, uh, kind of got back on their feet against Illinois and Rutgers. You think uh, who do you like in the the battle for the old oaken bucket this weekend? Well, I think you got to give an, an edge to Purdue. Um, it's at home, number one. Um, again, it's the motivation of both teams to get to a bowl, so that's there for IU as well as Purdue. Um, and then I think Purdue's motivated just to get the bucket back. You know, they 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 lost this thing four years in a row. It hasn't happened since the 1940s. Like Harry Truman was the president. Uh, so again, there's a lot of motivation for Purdue aside from just going to a bowl game. Um, the fact that, like you said, Alex, they're, that they're even in this spot. If I would have somebody would have said this in August, 
I'd had him committed to the loony bin. Um, to think this team would have been even within sniffing distance of a bowl game coming off that disastrous, and I mean total disaster, Daryl Hazel era. I mean, just real quick, think about this. Roll, roll this fact in your head. Hazel won nine games in four years, and just five of those were versus FBS schools. And uh, here Jeff Brom in three months has five wins over FBS schools. So the utter incompetence is remarkable. And uh, to think that Brom has been able to at least try to get this script flipped um, this quickly is, is nothing short of really remarkable. Yeah, we keep coming back to it. I mean, week after week, we've, we've you know, we've mentioned Jeff Brom, the job he's done. But it, it did seem like that Purdue was kind of losing some of the juice. You know, the injuries were, were piling up. You had, you had Blau going down. You know, now Bishop, I think, is, is out for the year. And I, I'm, I'm impressed they've been able to, you know, turn it around a little bit from that, that midseason swoon and now have a, have a bowl game on the line here. Um, before we move on to next week, Steve, since they are in, in our, our backyard here in, in uh, Chicago, I wanted to ask – your thoughts on Northwestern and what this season kind of means like in the, in the larger picture because uh, like you said it's a really great story and how they've they've won six games in a row kind of under everyone's noses after they had a bad start to the season Steve as a member of uh, the, the you know the Chicago media what is this you know is this season building toward anything what do you think this means for a program that that has had the same coach for a long time Pat's, Pat Fitzgerald um, you know what is what is a you know potential ten win season mean in the larger scheme of things? I'm still I'm still dealing with the imagery of the 1940s at Purdue and a young West behind the years <laughs> freshman named Thomas Deanard showing up to, for his first game <laughs> play. But 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 I, <laughs> the thing about Northwestern that you know I can say this just uh, if I, you know put on my dispassionate observer hat for a second and say that I think that the reality is in Chicago with Northwestern, I mean, they could win six in a row, they can win 16 in a row. Uh, it only moves the needle so much, and that's a college sports issue in a pro sports town. It's unfortunate. I think that, and I wrote this this week, Alex, and I, I feel like you might be, you might be re- referring to it, but, you know, I, I, what, I, what I heard when I showed up to cover Illinois four or five years ago, which I did only for a couple of years, but what I heard a lot was this, you know, point of view toward the Chicago media that it um, favors Northwestern, ignores Illinois, and I think what, what's often missed is it, it doesn't really favor anybody, and, and, and it just, you know, it really takes something to get through to the overall consciousness of the, of the media in Chicago for it to merit sustained coverage and 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 so it frustrates me all to no end if it something big happened to illinois it would it would get the coverage something big hasn't happened for a long time at northwestern does this really you know does this really stand out um not as much as an ncaa tournament run for the first time but it arguably should i mean six straight big 10 wins only wisconsin's done that otherwise this year it's it's a real rarity it's impressive uh, I did think going into the season that Northwestern had a chance to win 10 games, so it's not like if you sort of look at it from 30,000 feet that they necessarily overachieved this year. But given how that team started and going to Duke and getting blown out, um, looking really anemic offensively, couldn't block anybody up front, Clayton Thorson getting killed on every uh, series seemingly, you know, to where they are now, which is, I would say, the 
pretty clearly the at worst, you know, fourth or fifth best team in the Big Ten. I ranked in fourth this week um, behind kind of an obvious top three. But but yes, I mean, I'm really impressed I, to 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 have a chance to go to Illinois and likely win a ninth game, go to a bowl, maybe win a tenth game. That's uh that's fighting off a lot and 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 be and handling it for for uh, a program that you know still operates without a lot of inherent advantages. They're they're doing a lot of work there and facilities and all that to make it a more attractive recruiting destination. We'll see if it really takes hold, if it really kicks things up to another level. But in the meantime, I'm impressed because. You talked about coaching, Tom, at, at, at Iowa. I think that there have been times when the coaching at Northwestern has really been criticized, uh, unimaginative offensive coaching, especially it's been on the off- offensive side of the ball. and mm-hmm. They've kind of sorted it out to where they're pretty balanced and dangerous right now. Um, overall, I've been impressed. I, uh, I, but, I, but, you know, it kind of happens in a vacuum. Uh, even up here, you know, where, which is where supposedly Chicago's Big Ten team resides. And so I always take it with a grain of salt, uh, these stories out of Northwestern. And, and, and it bums me out. Hopefully uh, we'll get back to a time when, you know, when it, it makes more of a mark. Yeah, Tom, uh, helping them get there has been Justin Jackson, who, you know, is kind of – he's now even marketed by, <clears throat> you know – Kind of accept they've accepted that he's like the unsung hero. You know he's not not flashy like Saquon Barkley, but this weekend he uh, went over five thousand yards in his career. I believe that's the sixth Big Ten running back to ever do that, and he's the only Big Ten running back besides Ron Dane to have one thousand yard rushing seasons in all four years on campus. So uh, very impressive. And and if you could kind of put, I mean you've you followed the Big Ten for a while, you know the history. Um, kind of put his efforts into perspective, even though he's not, you know, the guy that grabs all the headlines. Yeah, I mean, um, just like like you said, Alex, that resume, I mean, 1,000-yard rushing seasons four years in a row, and then the 5,000 career yards, um, those things speak for themselves, a real workhorse, the face of that program. Um, I mean, again, I, I love guys who show up and just keep their mouth shut and produce no drama. You can just count on being there every week. I love I love people like that, and that, that's Justin Jackson, man. I tell you what, like I said, you can always count on him lining up, find Clayton Thorson, and he's going to be there for whatever you need, and he's going to deliver most most times. I tell you what, um, yeah, the Big Ten, I think, had a lot of better backs over the years than they don't have Jackson's numbers, but still, um, you have to take your hat off to his durability and that consistency of production. Very impressive. Can I just absolutely? Can I just jump in there? I mean, I think that you can you can uh, um, stand wherever you know you choose to on the issue of pay for play or you know in, in college sports. But but if there is a player who's going to be held up as the case study at Northwestern, which has been a sort of a you know a petri dish for this issue, it should be Justin Jackson because four years as a bell cow back getting hit, uh, you know, running a four six five forty. He's not a big NFL mm-hmm. prospect. He's a guy you squeeze every drop out of as a college player, and he's done every possible thing, you know, uh, every possible bit of good for his program, for his school. He's graduating early. He's, you know, um, a good citizen, as Tom said. And he has 
you know, as I keep, I mean, the, the violence of football and the injuries and all that, he's got more carries, more yards, more touchdowns, more everything than any back in school history. So um, I really uh, admire him for that. I appreciate a college player who, who can offer that level of devotion, production, and, and all that, and, and it really stands for something. I mean, you know, maybe he's the Josie Jewell of offense in the Big Ten right now, um, but it is, as you said, Alex, it's really under the radar, and uh, it's because there's, you know, there's not this huge uh, amount of talent that he brings relative to the Saquon Barkleys and, um, you know, Dobbins at, at, at Ohio State and some other players, uh, John, Jonathan Taylor, but, but I mean, you want him in your program in the worst way. He's really been great. All right, guys, and before we move on to next week, I did want to touch on one more team, and it's kind of remarkable that we haven't brought them up considering the season they've had. Uh, that's Penn State. You know, I, I just Whenever I look at them, I feel like this season was really meant to be something else for them. You know, We bring up the four points always that, that they've lost by combined. Their two losses came by a combined four points. to uh, um, Obviously, one of those was by one point to Ohio State. And it just seems like, like I said, that this season was, was meant to be something else, and it just got derailed along the way um, by Michigan State and Ohio State. So, so Steve, do you, do you look at this team and, and still think that, you know, maybe they're better than Ohio State or, or maybe they're on that, that level of Ohio State and Wisconsin and it just didn't work out this year? Or uh, do you think, you know, their, their offensive line woes and, and some other issues were kind of exposed in, in that gauntlet they faced kind of in the second half of the season here? You know, I, I don't know. I, I, I rank I ranked Penn State ahead of Ohio State have for the last couple of weeks. For whatever that's worth, I, I may be the only one who reads those rankings. But I, I, I think that, uh, you know, I think that Penn State is better than it was last year, first of all. Maybe playing without the proverbial, you know, horseshoe uh, uh, rabbit's foot that it seemed to have whenever it needed it last season, uh, at least after September, so, you know, they had this knack for making big plays exactly when needed. It's had it at times this season as well. But I'm not really compelled by, um, you know, that, that, that being outplayed at Ohio State for a quarter and a half is, is this conclusive evidence that something's missing. I mean, that, you know, that was Ohio State on a great day coming back to win by one, I think it was what was it, 39-38, yep. at home against, you know, Penn State. Well, most teams, most good teams probably would have gotten the doors blown off that, that day by the Buckeyes. Losing uh, on a last kick at Michigan State, which is, you know, which is, except for last year, always been good for um, wins like that, you know, is, is that was probably not the best Penn State has played, but that's it. Other than that, they've won, and they've won uh, in most cases decisively. You know, very decisively at Northwestern to, to name one game where it was just a uh, a romp from the start. Um, you know, Michigan they beat them by about thirty points. They offensively have so much going for them. So, if I'm looking at Penn State versus Ohio State, you know, and you're drafting players, I mean, you might say Barrett is a little better than McSorley. I don't know. You might say Saquon Barkley's a little better than Ohio State's duo of running backs. You probably would. I think you might say Penn State has the best wide receiver and the best tight end in the equation. 
you start to look at it and realize Penn State's got a lot of talent. It's not just, you know, they are the closest in the Big Ten to Ohio State's level of talent, which is, always seems to be a cut of its own. And um, so I really like Penn State and think that it's a complete team. And, you know, maybe not perfect. You mentioned the offensive line. But defensively, they can be very, very good and uh, very, very physical and do everything you need to do, any kind of offense to, to win that you need. And so I, I really like this team. And, um, just, you know, the horseshoe thing. They would have won Michigan State if they had it again this year. They'd be in the playoff. Uh, but they're not. So that, but, but if they could go 11-2 and two again, it's pretty darn good. Yeah, you know, I, I don't really, you know, care too much about – the outcomes one Big Ten team over another, but I do feel bad for Penn State because I, you know, I like the guys in the team. They seem like they seem like good guys, and they're they're likable, and you know, they dance in the locker room after the game and post on social media. And it was a team that I kind of grew to like the last couple seasons, and and you know, they just kind of fallen off everyone's radar because you know they're not going to jump Ohio State after losing to them, and you know, you know, the best they're going to do is probably a, a New Year's Six type bowl, which is you know a lot of programs would be thrilled with that, but. Um, with a team that had higher aspirations this year, you know, it's kind of a shame. Um, I'm going to move ahead now to, uh, next week's games. It's rivalry week, which means we'll have a lot of goofy trophies being, uh, trading hands and exchanging locker rooms after, uh, after this week. And the headliner is going to be obviously nationally, the iron bowl, Auburn, Alabama, and then Ohio state, Michigan is the big one in the big 10. So Steve, we'll start with the the Iron Bowl. Um, obviously, Big Ten fans are going to be following this closely because Auburn could be pretty much eliminated from playoff contention. You know, no one's getting in with three losses, and uh, Big Ten fans, I think, are all rooting for Alabama to win if they want to see a team get in the playoffs. So, what do you see out of that game? It's going to be uh, at Auburn, so you know that's that could shift things in in uh, Tigers' favor. Do, do you you think Alabama? Who hasn't really? They kind of played a Wisconsin-like schedule this year. Do you think they're in trouble going in there, or um, do you think they, you know, do what Alabama does and, and keep it moving? You know, historically, with me and, and looking at Alabama, when I have thought Alabama was in a trap, you know, they might struggle. They've they've won. I, you know, there are a couple of exceptions. I think about when they went to Oxford to play Ole Miss. Uh, a few years ago, they lost that game, and yeah. that was that was a it was a well well played game. But the other team showed up and was as good as advertised and won. Um, you know, I, I can think of one the second crack Alabama got at Johnny Manziel. Crimson Tide were great; they won that game, but they also gave up like forty two points. It was an amazing, you know, game, and it was fraught with uh, danger right down to the end. This could be that game because Auburn's tough. You know, look at Auburn uh, at Clemson giving giving up, you know, just two touchdowns. And, and the way that defense has, has uh, risen to the occasion time and again, what it did to Georgia, like Tom mentioned earlier, I mean, it was just so impressive. So Alabama hasn't been tested uh, very much offensively. Uh, happened a little bit in that game at Mississippi State, but Auburn is a, is a significant jump up from Mississippi State. So, yeah, I think it's a game Alabama could lose. Um, Tigers have... You know, a very good running back, very physical running game, carry on Johnson. They have Jared Stidham, a quarterback who's got a ton of ability, and they have a defense that is probably uh, on a par with Alabama. I mean, not ex- maybe not even, but, but in the conversation. So, yes, this is a game Alabama could lose, but I think it's more about Auburn. 
you know, is, is whether Auburn can handle this moment. And then I don't think of that as, on a player level. I mean, if these guys don't freak out and maybe lose their cool, because you know Alabama's guys won't, then they, they'll be in the game and could win, but they might just fall apart from the pressure and excitement of it all. We see that sometimes with college athletes. Right, and uh, I'll, I'll bring up another game that could have playoff implications. You know, it's not, a, it's not on the level of Auburn, Alabama, but... South Carolina and Clemson are, are going at it, and um, you know mm-hmm. South Carolina is not a terrible team. I think they they have seven or eight wins, and we we know Clemson you know is far from far from perfect after losing to Syracuse, and they, and they're you know they're still getting the benefit of the doubt from the committee, and and they should get in as long as they continue to win. Um, Steve, do you think South Carolina can can give Clemson a game, or uh, did did Clemson kind of get their one stinker out of the way, and uh, they're they're kind of on a mission now? Well, maybe it's just because of, you know, well, I mean, it is because of these last couple of years, but it might be more a Deshaun Watson thing. I don't know. We're going to find out. I just have so much belief in Clemson at this time of year, uh, a culture thing. You know, they, they're always ready and so clutch. And I don't know about South Carolina, you know, matching that right now. Um, but uh, it is, uh, I mean, shoot, I, I, I think I'm more, um, talk about, I alluded earlier to these losses you don't see coming, these upsets at this time of year that derail everything. I'm looking more at Pittsburgh at home against Miami. Pittsburgh's actually played uh, four or five really good games in a row. Pittsburgh, I mean, they're only so good. But that's a game that I could see going sideways for Miami uh, at Heinz Field. I don't know about South Carolina being able to handle Clemson. I hope so. I hope it goes down to the wire, but I I figure the Tigers will handle that one, you know, with with relative comfort. I mean, South Carolina, as you say, pretty good team. Uh, they've got all kinds of excitement going right now. They've been better than expected this year. So if they if Clemson could lose at Syracuse, they could lose this one. I think they'll win. Yeah, and you never know. You know, you can catch Clemson and Miami looking forward to next week and and maybe catch them sleeping. But uh, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to follow. But all eyes will be in Auburn, Alabama, for sure. At least outside of the Big Ten where uh, everyone's eyes will be on Ohio State and Michigan. You know, it's the game. It's, it's the big hype, and Fox has been marketing it all week. You've seen commercials during NFL games, and everywhere you look, uh, the buildup is, uh, you know, kind of swirling for a game that, if was played on paper, probably wouldn't be that close. Tom, you know, Michigan has had a, had a decent year, solid, but they haven't, as people point out, they haven't really beaten anybody of consequence um, in their eight wins, but do you think the atmosphere of, of the big house and the circumstance and just the hype of, of the game will, will get them up for it, or do you think Ohio State's just too overwhelming, even being on the road? Yeah, you know, they don't have a win over a team with a winning record right now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been a disappointing year, and yeah, Alex, anytime you play at home in a rivalry game like this, and plus Michigan has a chance to trash the Buckeyes playoff hopes all types of mojo and excitement there for those fans in that michigan team um having said all that the fact that um, michigan's offense is, is is pedestrian at best i think gives them a little shot of course there's a monster question hanging over the quarterback spot this week the redshirt freshman brandon peters who we got a glimpse of the last few weeks he's in concussion protocol his status is uncertain my best guess would be he's probably not going to play. 
Uh, that means John O'Corn would be the guy, and we've all seen enough of John O'Corn to know what his skill set is. Again, long story short, this thing may be close for a quarter or a half based on emotion, but as we all know, we've watched a lot of football, right? Emotion is only going to take you so far. It's a four-quarter game, and I think Ohio State's going to end up pulling away and uh, continuing Michigan's misery. Yeah, it's it's not near the stakes as you know last year when I think it was number three versus number two, or, or some of the games we've seen in the past between these two teams. But I think playing spoiler to Ohio State, you know that that's a pretty good consolation prize for for uh, for Michigan fans. And Steve, you know we all we all know the storylines at this point. Uh, Ohio State's won I think fourteen out of sixteen, and then and twelve of the last thirteen for Michigan. So Michigan's really you know living under Ohio State's boot for the last decade plus. And then there's the Jim Harbaugh storyline, which is, you know, he's 1-6 for his top 10 teams. He's 0-2 so far against Ohio State. So if this game plays out like many expect it to, do you think there's any, you think there's really significant worry behind those, you know, those storylines that he's 0-3 against Ohio State? Because I, I feel like I ask this now, as things have, you know, as it's become clear that Michigan is not going to be a playoff team this year, do you think there should be any real concern about the direction he's got that program going or do you think the conventional wisdom that he's going to get it going with all that talent next year and another year um that this is kind of a transition year do you think harbaugh will be fine uh with that program well i i think i think harbaugh you know is, is the type of coach who has sort of a, an expiration date as far as his um just the sustainability of his personality and methods and all that. That has been the track record in his career prior to Michigan. Maybe it's different as all the modern. Maybe it's different as he sort of uh, uh, maybe he mellows with age, as some do. And and if he does, I think you know it's only a matter of time before he wins the Big Ten, gets into the playoff, and, and likely does it more than once. But you know, if he's measured in terms of head-to-head with Ohio State, he is you know, putting himself pretty, pretty far behind the eight ball, and um, and then it becomes, you know, uh, just is, is is it even reasonable to think he, he might catch up ever even the score? And so it's all how you look at it. If you look at it in terms of this rivalry, it is uh, they're just just playing nowhere near on equal footing and haven't been for so long that you can hardly remember it. Um, I, I do think that Michigan really, you know, this is an unwinnable game essentially, for, for Michigan because you know how State's going to score some points and I uh, don't see how Michigan puts them on the board unless it's special teams or defense, mm-hmm. you know, mistakes by Ohio State, a complete uh, an egg laid by the Buckeyes, and they've done it, you know, they've, they've done it recently enough against, obviously, Iowa. But I would think it's, it's all Ohio State on Saturday and a lot of questions for Michigan to ask throughout the offseason uh, Brandon Peters, by the way, I do think he could be the quarterback who who winds up being the biggest difference maker Harbaugh has, um, you know, in this job. I, I really like Peters, and I liked how what he had going in Wisconsin before he got hurt. He's a good looking quarterback, big, throws it well, stands in the pocket. He's got all those pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I agree. I think it's. I mean, I just I can't imagine Peters playing after the, the shot he took, and I know. Michigan's usually pretty mum on these things, and they're probably not going to, you know, indicate one way or the other. But I doubt he'll play, and I think I agree that they'll have trouble scoring. Um, 
Guys, before we wrap up here, I did want to ask, especially because this is something that Tom and I are doing a quick write-up on this week, and with it being rivalry week with the, the trophy games, i got to get your guys' favorite trophies. Um, Tom, let me let me hear your favorite Big Ten trophy, and you, you've seen some new ones spring up in the time you've covered the, the conference, but give me your favorite trophy and why. Oh, those are lame, man. Let me just tell you, nothing. there's nobody better in the world than Tom. Sorry, I'm just sick. There is no, I, 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 of everybody I've met in this industry, there is literally nobody better to ask than Tom. Just turn Tom loose on stuff like names of trophies. You'll go all well, night. He got one. Hagen nails. Hey, Tom, remember when you got the one, I think it was a, maybe the Floyd or Rosedale trophy? You got it wrong in one post. And I, and it was up oh, for maybe yeah. 15 minutes, and Iowa fans just jumped all over you, were blowing up your mentions, and uh, hear, yeah. you know it was like you. But yeah, I tell you, the, the conference and the trophies, as you guys know, being alums and Midwestern guys like me, I mean, there's no other conference that can match it. I mean, the old brass platoon, um, the little brown jug, Florida Rosedale, the old oaken bucket, Illy Buck, on and on it goes. I, I used to love, um, you know, the Kentucky. Indiana used to play for the Bourbon Barrel. I mean, how great is that? And then, of course, the Sweet Sue, the Sweet Sue Tomahawk got killed, um, the old Illinois Northwestern Trophy. But, again, for me, it's Florida Rosedale, I think, the bronze pig. How can you get any better than that? Uh, the backstory to it is very interesting as well. So, yeah, I tell you what, Florida Rosedale, for me, Iowa versus Minnesota is, is my favorite rivalry trophy. Steve, how about you? It's funny that you mentioned the names are so colorful. You mentioned ones. That I think I self-identify with Floyd of Rosedale. I like it. Just <laughs> uh, and and I have always thought the old brass platoon is just so colorful. And the kegged nails is one I love hearing too. But um, by the way, there's an Illinois Northwestern Trophy, Land of Lincoln. It's kind of uh, colorless. The hat. Kind of a really boring name for a, for a trophy. Right. I. I I, I like the, uh, you know, my alma mater is Wisconsin, but but not just because of that. The imagery of Paul Bunyan's axe, uh, yeah. you know, the imagery of, of Paul Bunyan, a character from your youth, and then at larger than life and all that. But then these players, when they don't do it anymore, because all these good traditions kind of go away because they become, you know, some someone crosses the line. Um, but, you know, the winning team, especially if the other team had won the year before, you race across and you grab this enormous axe and run around the field <laughs> swinging it wildly and dangerously and willy-nilly every direction. Who knows where you're going to hit with an axe? And it's just such a such a wild and, and uh, type of a scene. And then when you factor in the duration of the Wisconsin-Minnesota rivalry, the most played rivalry of all in the Big Ten, then, then it's uh, – you know, it's all pretty cool. In fact, I think it's the most played in FBS, uh, in the FBS ranks. So that's because that's the first one I I think of. Um, yeah. But uh, man, these games are always the rivalry games, the trophies. It's awesome. That's what differentiates college football from the NFL, right? I mean, it's, it's the regular season and the traditions. It's not the playoffs. It's stuff like this that we're talking about that makes it uh, stand out and really fun. Yeah, Steve, I was going to agree and say uh, I think the axe has got to be my favorite just because. Like you said, it's the only time it's really acceptable to like hoist and wave a weapon around, you know, and like run around and right. and wildly <laughs> <laughs> brandish a weapon. So you know that I guess 
Only in sports can can you do that without uh without getting arrested. So I'll I'll, I'll go with that. Right, while while wearing a helmet with limited peripheral vision. Exactly. Yeah. Swinging that thing wildly yeah. to and fro. Very safe. Um, all right, guys. One last thing that we're gonna wrap up with. Um, we do it every week. Is we name our you know one big moment of the past week in college football. It's something cool or unique you saw uh, in the in the previous week. So I'll go ahead and start. And this was something that the BTN Journey show did, and they profiled on. Uh, I think the episode airs Tuesday night, so tonight. Um, but the social media kind of clip was released on on Twitter and Facebook, and it kind of went viral. And it was a really cool feature on. Ohio State SID Jerry Emig, Tom, someone you know very well, and I'm sure you know him too, Steve. Um, and, it, and it profiled, you know, not only his job, but his son, AJ, who has Down syndrome and, and has survived kind of an, uh, a health scare throughout the way with heart conditions, and, and he's battled, and he's, and he's pulled through uh, when doctors said his survival was not very likely when he was, I think, a toddler and, and really young, and now he's, I believe, 12 or 13, and it was a really cool and touching profile of him on the journey. And the journey always does like these these stories really well where they, they talk to the families and, and they frame it, you know, in a, in a way that, you know, really can't help but tear up watching, and, and it was just really cool to see, and it got shared a bunch of times. So it's cool to see someone, you know, who works behind the scenes like an SID, you know, get recognized in that way for something he does behind the scenes at home every single day, you know, just out of love for his son. So that was really awesome. Tom, uh, I will throw it over to you now. And wanna, I want to know what you saw in the past week of college football that stood out that was cool or unique. Well, I don't know if it was cool, but it was unique. Um, uh, the, the Baker Mayfield uh, incident against Kansas, obviously. He was disrespected. He thought it'd kick off. KU players wouldn't shake his hands. Of course, we all saw what happened during the game. Mayfield's antics, the crotch grab, the, the jawing with fans, um, set off a firestorm and made people wonder, could this cost Baker Mayfield the Heisman Trophy? And uh, personally, I don't think it will. Um, certainly, Mayfield needs to grow up. Um, this is one of several incidents in his past, of course. Just this year with the flag plant at Ohio State. Uh, not real sportsmanlike, I guess. Uh, many had some off-field issues as well. But still, yeah, Mayfield made some bad choices. I uh, look very juvenile, but I don't think it's going to cost him the Heisman at all. He's clearly the, the leader here and should win still. Yeah, before we move on to uh, your moment, Steve, let's, since you guys are both Heisman voters, Steve, I want to hear your thoughts on uh, Mayfield's you know, outburst antics. You know, He has a track record, like Tom said. You think that should affect his Heisman standing at all? Well, in fairness to Mayfield, I've worked with some people from KU. And, uh, <laughs> they, they, bring that, they, get, they can bring that out of you. So I, I, uh, I, I think Mayfield's fine. I mean, you know, this year, you know, Bryce Love, I'm not sure who else, who else, you know, Lamar Jackson again, you know, who, who else are you going to vote for this year? I, you yeah. know, I think it's Saquon Barkley quite, um, although I sure thought the months there that for, for, for several weeks anyway that Barkley would be my guy. Um, I think Mayfield will be fine in the Heisman context. It's a much bigger question with him. You can't get away with with any of that junk uh, in the NFL. I, I, there's there's not enough personality at that level, but there's there's no room for for that kind of um, you know that kind of that kind of stuff. Uh, 
and he will he will really be affected in that thing more than he will be in the Heisman race as far as will will a team take it you know take a crack at Baker Mayfield will they believe in him not to uh, take uh, twists and turns a la Johnny Manziel or other quarterbacks who you know who've not been total team guys from the start. Yeah, I think the the character clause is kind of you know has been proven not to have them big of an effect. I mean, Jameis Winston won it after what happened with him, and I I agree. I think he'll be fine. Um, all right, Steve, do you have a a moment or a cool thing you saw in uh, the last week of college football, or or even beyond? We'll expand it. Uh, if you do, let's hear it. No, I do actually. I something jumped right to mind when you brought it up, and and I I. Um I, I, I don't. I, I suppose you could go ahead and accuse me of being a homer for bringing up something at Wisconsin, but but it was something I saw that really touched me, and it was uh, Jack Sitchie, you know, on Senior Day. Not only you know, he's missed the whole season with an injury, he was expected to be Wisconsin's best defensive player, maybe the best player on the team, a big NFL prospect too. And um, you know, they showed him on senior day walking out, uh, not in pads, not in uniform. And they also showed him on the sideline coaching with this great earnestness and, and intensity, uh, wearing headset as he's done. And it, it may just, it just really uh, moved me from the standpoint of, you know, you think about the devastation of missing what could be your last year. We don't know. It's possible he could petition for another year or if we just come back. Um, but, you know, you think about what a crushing blow that is, and you tend to look at these guys and define them in somewhat narrow terms. You know, he's a football player now; he doesn't have football. What a what a sad story. But I just saw how you know how much he's making of a bad situation with the coaching and the happiness on his face on the sideline uh, with his teammates during the games and and on senior day feeling a legitimate, authentic part of it, even though he's not playing. And it's just a nice thing about young people, you know, that you you kind of you can kind of forget a little bit as you get older. I mean, this is, this is a young person uh, seeing things positively and making the best of the situation, and that's kind of a great thing about football in general, the, the whole adversity thing and sports in general and, and all that, but it's the best of uh, it's the best of big-time college sports is what you hope to see. So I was really pleased to see a great player uh, happy in what I just sort of, thought all season long for him must have been a big bummer. It turns out it's not. That's cool. Yeah, and it speaks to you know the depth Wisconsin has had to be able to lose you know Sitchi and still have a, a number one defense. And Chris Orr has been a guy also that that got injured a couple weeks ago. And I talked to Chris over the summer, and he was a guy that missed all last year with an injury, and, and he did the same thing. He got to kind of coach on the sidelines, wear a headset, and actually you know make defensive calls and reads to his teammates from the sideline. And I agree. That's a cool thing that Wisconsin does getting their players involved to, uh, you know, be coaches on the field when they're not able to be on the field playing. Um, gentlemen, that's all I got for you this morning. Uh, appreciate you guys coming on so close to the holidays and we will, you know, obviously enjoy the rest of the week and, uh, see what this weekend okay. has in store as far as college football goes. Tom, go right ahead. Yeah, real quick. One, one last question for Steve. I got to get, I gotta get your Grey Cup pick, buddy. Toronto or Calgary? Ah, isn't Tressman, Mark Tressman, former Bears coach, Mark Tressman, uh, involved in this? I'll go the other way. <laughs> whatever it is, I, I don't know anything. You go with the Stampeders. And, and Alex, are you sure you don't want Tom and, and me to 
to riff a little longer like two angry old men about instant replay and how they should abolish it. Yeah, what, what's <laughs> next? What are you guys gonna, what are you guys going to say? Pro- they're probably not going to abolish it. You're going to talk about the uniforms Get next, you know, lawn. the uniforms are too Get flashy. Yeah, the, I got the, a big problem with color TV. Let me tell you something. They shouldn't dance in the end no. zone. <laughs> Steve, I, 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 I just hope you're, you're talking on your phone right now, just wearing your boxer shorts and a T-shirt. Please, tell me that's true. V-neck. Okay, good. Tom, I, I thought that, that's where we've gone off. We've gone off the rail. Tom, I thought that's how you work uh, <laughs> every day, right? That's the perks of working from home. <laughs> always, man. Always boxer shorts and a. I don't always wear a V-neck like Steve, though. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, we'll wrap it up before this gets too off. Uh, off track here but yeah um, you can you can edit this so. yeah we'll we'll cut it down <laughs> appreciate you guys coming on and uh like hey I thanks said, a lot steve yeah happy thanksgiving thanks, steve. i appreciate it buddy it was fun i appreciate it too have a great holiday thanks steve thanks again to tom and steve for joining me and before we get to our stat head segment with harold just want to remind everyone real quick, once again, that the coupon code on the btn.com store is still active. Um, first of all, get to the btn.com store. You've got to, if you're on desktop, there's a tab at the top of the screen, a shop tab. And if you're on your phone on mobile, there's a btn store tab at the bottom of the screen. So get to that online shop. You can get all kinds of you know, licensed apparel. It's all Nike, Jordan. Under Armour, Adidas, you know, all the official stuff that you see the players wearing on the sidelines and on the bench and on the floor even too. So use the coupon code. It's T-A-K-E-1-0, all caps. Take 10% off your order. Do it now. Actually, do it 10 minutes from now after we wrap up this stat head segment with Harold Shelton, which we'll get to right now. All right, I'm pleased to be joined once again in BTN studio by our researcher, resident stat head, Harold Shelton. You know, we said we were maybe going to take this week off, but, you know, the grind never stopped. So here we are back again. H, what's up, man? Not much, man. Glad to be on. Glad I was able to, <laughs> to get squeezed in here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a couple days before Thanksgiving, you know, got to get our fill of stats as well. So this past week in the Big Ten, we'll, we'll break that down first. Um, not a whole lot of, of close games. In fact, if you if you go through it, this was probably the uh, week with the biggest discrepancies, at least score-wise, in, in uh, recent history in the Big Ten, wasn't it? Yeah, since the uh, conference expanded to 14 teams back in 2014, it's the first time you had all seven games decided by at least two possessions. Um, some of that was a surprise. I mean, a lot of people thought Wisconsin-Michigan would be a one-score game. Um, I'd say people might have thought that the Purdue-Iowa game would have been double figures, but not with Purdue. You know, right. Purdue was the team that wound up controlling that game. Actually went in by nine, but it was still two possessions. So, but the, the rest of them were, you know, pretty much expected. You know, you expected Penn State to win big, Michigan State to win big, Ohio State to win big, and it went as such. Yeah, so, you know, the game that everyone was focused on going in was Wisconsin-Michigan. And, you know, for a while it looked like you know, not only was Michigan going to make this a game, it looked like they were they were going to win. They kind of had some momentum even in the second half there. Um, you know, what, what is it about Wisconsin? What were they able to do? Was it just that defense, or, or what was it that they were able to, to have success with? And also, why does it seem like Alex Hornerbrook needs to throw 
a pick every time before that offense gets going because he's, he's starting to get up there in infamy now with how many games he's gone uh, with consecutive interceptions. Yeah, so it's eight pick, eight straight games with a pick now. Uh, I believe one of our producers mentioned that he's kind of got the Willie Beeman in him where he has to, <laughs> you know, throw up before he can actually get going. And right. it's the same with Horner Brook throwing a pick before he can get going. Um, Wisconsin just does what they normally do. They wear teams down in the second half. They hit you with a lot of body blows with Jonathan Taylor, and eventually that defense starts to crack. Hornerbrook made three great throws in that third quarter that the sideline pass to A.J. Taylor to kind of loosen things up. Um, touchdown strike in traffic to Taylor, and then another third down strike to uh, Danny Davis. So he does just enough. You know, he he does make mistakes, but he does just enough. And then – that defense just keeps you on your heels. Um, Michigan could not, you know, run the ball like they want to. And that's Wisconsin's thing. They make sure you don't run the ball. They'll never get too far out of a game because that defense is so good. Yeah, it's a formula, you know, and and uh, Wisconsin kept it moving. And we'll see if that formula continues to uh, to bear fruit as we as we keep moving here. Um, there were a couple, a couple milestones, too, that were passed this past weekend. I think JT Barrett went over – 100 passing yards. Uh, Saquon Barkley had a milestone as well, and Justin Jackson went over 5,000 yards rushing and 1,000 yards on the season. 5,000 for his career, 1,000 on the season. And um, we mentioned that a little bit earlier in the podcast with uh, Steve Greenberg about how special that is. But uh, were there any other milestones that stood out or, or which which stood out to you among among those three um, this past weekend? Because, you know, while the, the scores weren't that tight, at least, you know, we got to see some some players accomplishing some things that uh you know they, they work hard and deserve yeah it's kind of weird you know JT Barrett you know he passes 100 passing touchdowns and it just seems like every week it's like oh there's another record there's another record there's right. another record like he winds up passing Braxton Miller for the most rushing yards by a Big Ten quarterback like it seems like every time you look up he's got some kind of record but the Justin Jackson one is crazy if you think about it I mean he's one of five power conference players that ever run for a thousand yards in all four seasons uh, he's just been a durable workhorse back, you know, very versatile, um, you know, and, I mean, he's a guy that doesn't mind carrying it 30, 35 times. There, he actually gets better the more carries that he gets. And the fact that he's now in fourth place in Big Ten history and four straight 1,000-yard seasons, I mean, it's possible he could finish in the top three in Big Ten history in rushing. And considering the running backs that have been in this conference, that's very impressive. Yeah, and the Barkley record, I believe, was uh, that, he, that he crossed was the – rushing touchdowns mark in, in uh, school history and he had number 39 and that's pretty impressive you know I think who came through there Larry oh, Johnson absolutely. and Royster guys like that um, so yeah uh, impressive week for some of the, the Big Ten stars and mainstays that have been around a while uh, we'll, we'll look ahead now to the last week of the regular season in the Big Ten uh, hard to believe but it's upon us so we got some bowl games on the line for, for some teams and you mentioned earlier unexpectedly kind of Purdue's put themselves in a position to play their way into a bowl they're playing indiana who also is sitting on five wins and so that winner of the open bucket game will determine who gets to go to a bowl um and then there's minnesota as well who they need to beat wisconsin to to get to a bowl so that's probably unlikely to happen but we talked about this before we we started recording here there's a chance that teams with five wins could um qualify for a bowl we've seen this in recent years that you know there's too many bowls and not enough six win teams so and I've always been confused by it, even following college football. Like, how is it determined which five-win teams 
qualify for a bowl even if they lose. So even even you know even if say Purdue or Indiana and in Minnesota lose this weekend, they could still find themselves playing beyond this upcoming weekend. So H, if you could please explain how this works. How does it get determined which five win teams qualify for bowl games? Yeah, so everything is based off the APR, but I'll at least uh, lay out the landscape for right now. So there's 78 bowl slots because uh, there's 39 bowls, not including the title game. So there's 70 teams have already gotten the six wins in bowl eligibility. Uh, so that leaves eight spots. You have eight five-win teams all playing against each other this weekend. Right. So that means four more teams will be bowl eligible no matter what. So that leaves four spots left uh, for the other 13 teams fighting it out. Uh, so we know Indiana-Purdue will be one of those teams that gets the six. Uh, Minnesota has a chance, even if they lose, if they're not enough bowl-eligible teams, their APR is very, very high. And amongst the teams that are fighting uh, to get the six that might not quite get the six, they would be third in the pecking order. So even with the loss, they might still be okay if there aren't enough teams eligible to make it. Uh, Purdue, Indiana, not so much. They're further down the list. Uh, I think Maryland's in decent shape, but you got to pull off a win against Penn State to get the five, and that's probably unlikely. Right, and the APR is an academic rating, correct? That, yes. That uh, measures schools' academic proficiency. So, yeah, it's interesting to see. You know, like I, I've always been kind of of the mindset that you know five win teams don't deserve it, but then you think about it, and we've set this arbitrary line at six wins. You know, well, everyone's schedules are so different. Why is it six wins? So, you know, if, I don't have too big a problem with it, but if Minnesota. Uh, you know, loses, which they probably will this weekend at Wisconsin, and makes a bowl. You know, it's still big for PJ Fleck to go out on the recruiting trail and say, "Hey, look, you know, we made a bowl in year one, and, and it's good to sell. It's good to you know get the fan base excited. It's a good experience for the team." So, you know, like, yeah. while I'm like, "Hey, there's too many bowls probably, and you know, five win teams, do they really deserve it?" At the same time, you can look at it the other way, I think, and and uh, and argue, you know, that that it's beneficial to. Yeah, Certainly the teams as well. Yeah, um, Minnesota and Nebraska both had five wins a couple of years ago. Both got to a bowl mm-hmm. and both won it. So, you know, it, it certainly has happened in this conference before. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if it happened again. All right, so we'll move on to the game of the week in uh, the Big Ten. It's the game of the season for a lot of fans that are involved in this rivalry. It's Michigan-Ohio State, and it's a game that does not have nearly – the hype surrounding it that it did last season when it was the number two versus number three team in the country. This year, uh, Michigan, you know, solid Michigan team, but a Michigan team that hasn't proven they can they can win the big game this year. And an Ohio State team that still has, you know, obviously Big Ten title hopes because they're already locked into that game, but uh, national title implications as well because that dream has not died yet. So that means Michigan can play spoiler. So Give me uh, what you're looking for out of this game, you know, behind the numbers. What what stands out, and, and how can Michigan, despite, you know, being uh, disadvantaged on paper, how can they make this a game aside from the obvious home field advantage? Yeah, so uh, just looking at this uh, big picture for the, for the first part, it's a game Michigan needs to win. I mean, Jim Harbaugh, for all of the hype, is 1-6 against top 10 teams as Michigan head coach. And – they are playing for championships at Michigan. That's not what they signed up for. Um, he doesn't want to fall to 0-3 against Ohio State. I mean, he joined Rich Rodriguez as the only Michigan coaches to ever start 0-2 against the Buckeyes, so you know he doesn't want to be 0-3. Right. 
Um, and they're a huge underdog at home. I think I think it might be 12 points now. And I looked, and it's the first time he's been this big of an underdog at any level, which includes the NFL, in 131 games. Ah. So the Wolverines aren't getting a lot of respect, and this could be a good chance to play spoiler. I mean, we've seen the records don't really matter in this game. You think back to 2013 when Ohio State was undefeated. Brady Hoke was the coach. believed they were like a 17-point underdog, and they were a two-point conversion away from winning the game. Uh, on the field, Michigan just hasn't been able to run the ball well against really good teams. Uh, Penn State shut them down. Wisconsin shut them down. Michigan State shut them down. They've been able to run wild against you know the Minnesota Rutgers, Maryland's of the world. But if they can't run the ball against this Ohio State team, with the uncertainty they have a quarterback with Brandon Peters being knocked out of the game last week and John O'Corn struggles, it could be a long day. So I think Michigan can't turn it over. They have to find a way to establish the run, not getting third long, because if they do, it's going to be a problem. All right, man. Well, we will see, uh, you know, we're recording this before this week's college football playoff rankings come out, even though, you know, it's a good reason for that because probably won't be much movement. So We'll probably have to wait a, uh, at least another week to see any significant changes in that and, and see how it shakes out for the Big Ten. And then once those conference championship games get underway uh, a little more, uh, about a week and a half from now, then then we'll uh, see how everything really sets up for the college football playoff. So we'll be back here next week, and then uh, we'll break it down, and we'll take this through Big Ten title game in, in a couple weeks. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it sounds good. It's hard to believe the matchup's already set. Should be a fun one to end next week. Yes, sir. All right, man. All right. Thanks again to Harold, Tom, and Steve for joining me. And thanks to everyone out there for listening. I hope uh, everyone out there has a happy Thanksgiving. You know, has a nice restful holiday break. Hopefully uh, you were able to squeeze this podcast into your schedule while you were traveling or hanging out at home watching football whatever appreciate everyone for listening and shout out to those guys once again for joining me Uh, we'll be back next week as we prep for the big 10 championship game wisconsin and ohio state looking forward to that and hopefully we'll get some college basketball talk in soon as well because as i'm recording this i see that iowa lost the second straight game in the thanksgiving tournament and northwestern not looking so hot right now and uh, Wisconsin last night lost a late one. We'll see how they do against UCLA. Obviously, those games will all have happened by the time this drops. But a uh, fascinating time in the Big Ten in college hoops as well and across the country with all the Thanksgiving tournaments going on. Favorite time of year as far as you know, sports crossing over with all the great football and basketball going on. So plenty to talk, talk about, and uh, we'll try and cover it all. For now, everyone enjoy your Thanksgiving. And thanks again to Wes White for producing. And we'll talk to you next time on the Take 10 Podcast.